Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. In theory, piñatas are terrific fun. I mean, what's not to like? Put a bunch of yummy treats in an animal-shaped box, hang it up, and let a group of blindfolded kids swing wildly at it with a stick? Of course, the reality of piñatas is never quite as exciting as one might hope. It's mostly a bunch of weak, tentative hits, glancing blows, and complete misses. And then the host parent tries to smash it open, hitting it over and over with increasing frustration until they finally tear the thing open by hand. A similar thing can also happen in the practice room. We miss a note, so we stop and take another swing at it to see if the second time's a charm. And if not, we keep swinging away at it faster and faster until we finally hear what we want and then move on to the next thing. This piñata approach to practicing often does lead to the desired result, but it comes at a cost. After all, you've just played the passage incorrectly a bunch of times, and correctly only once. That's a pretty underwhelming correct-to-incorrect ratio. And what it really means is that you've had far more practice doing it wrong than doing it right. So how can we improve our correct-to-incorrect ratio, learn more from each mistake, and problem-solve a tricky passage without creating lots of bad habits in the process? Several researchers have looked at something known as the inter-trial interval, or post-KR delay, where KR stands for knowledge of results. This is the amount of time that elapses between one's practice attempt and the next practice attempt. For instance, if you're practicing a tricky shift, you could just execute the shift over and over with no pauses between attempts, or you could try the shift pause, and then try again. That pause between attempts is the inter-trial interval. Thinking back, I'm not sure I ever made time for even the slightest pause between practice attempts when I was a kid. I totally piñataed my way through every practice session. Heck, even in lessons, I'd often cut my teachers off while they were still talking in a rush to play the passage again and get it right. I think I always assumed that learning happened during the time that my muscles were moving. The idea that some of the learning might take place in the time between practice attempts never really occurred to me. But how long are we supposed to wait between practice attempts? Are we talking an itty-bitty pause? A more substantial grand pause? Might there even be an optimal pause length between practice attempts? A 2005 study in the journal Experimental Brain Research yields a few clues. 35 participants were split up into six groups and given one practice session and 25 practice attempts to learn a tricky motor task. The only difference between groups was the amount of time each was given between practice attempts. One group was given one second pause between attempts, while the others were given either 5, 
10, 15, 20, or 40 seconds. The task was to move their index finger around in the air so as to manipulate a cursor and hit an on-screen target, kind of like playing games on the original Wii, except that their hand was hidden from view, and everything was 60 degrees off, so moving your fingers up would actually make the cursor move 60 degrees off-center. All the groups improved with practice, of course, but the participants who received only a one-second pause between practice attempts consistently performed worse than the others, and they weren't as accurate in their efforts to hit the target. Of course, the more important question is, how much of their performance gains would stick? 24 to 36 hours later, everyone returned to the lab for a test to see how much of their finger-pointing skills remained after a day of no further practice. The test was simple just five attempts to perform the same exact task as the day before and hit the target. As during training, the 5, 10, 15, 20, and 40 second groups all performed at about the same level. But once again, the one second group performed more poorly than the others. And why is that? Well, the authors surmised that a one second break wasn't enough time to process the information gleaned from each previous attempt and get it into long-term memory. So even though they took the same exact number of practice trials as the other participants, the amount of learning the one-second pausers were able to do between trials was reduced, hence the difference in performance during training and their inferior performance on the test the following day. A 2007 study in the Journal of Neurophysiology also reported on this phenomenon. Participants in this study engaged in essentially the same sort of task as in the previous study, except instead of waving their fingers around the air, they used a slightly different device. Anyhow, the researchers in this study replicated the findings of the other study, observing that a longer delay of 14 seconds between practice attempts led to more rapid improvements than a shorter 4-second delay. Of course, the point isn't the pause itself, but what happens during the pause. And in a series of follow-up experiments, the authors found evidence suggesting that the performance improvement from trial to trial is due to the increased learning that can happen in the time following each error. So what's the takeaway? Well, it might take a little discipline to get in the habit of pausing for a few seconds between practice repetitions if you're accustomed to rapid-fire repetitions one after the next, but in the week ahead, pay attention and see if you can catch yourself slipping into the tendency to piñata your way through your practice. Take your time between repetitions, pause, and don't just count to 5 or 7 or 11, but use that time to ponder or reflect on what just happened and why it happened. Plan your next move, give it a go, and see if you find more of your work sticking from one day to the next, despite potentially putting in fewer repetitions overall. You can find links to this week's study and other related practice hacks at bulletproofmusician.com blog. If you found this episode helpful, please do share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think would also enjoy experimenting with it during the coming week. And if you'd like to explore this sort of thing in more depth, whether it be to get more out of your daily practice or to get better at managing performance pressure and shrinking that gap between what you can do in the practice room and what comes out on stage, you can learn more about the live and self-paced courses that are available at bulletproofmusician.com courses.